This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the show, you guys. We are back for another episode in our For the Love of Being Seen and Heard series, and I am loving it, just loving it. Every single episode to me has been fire. We're basically hearing from women who are simply paving the way for us in a million spaces. Like They are bringing things to light that maybe are not the popular or privileged ways in which to think, or they're giving us permission to claim our space in the world without shame and hesitation. And they're advocates. They're leading the charge in all kinds of areas, normalizing mental health issues, giving us permission to live out our grief, showing a path forward in the face of racism or gender bias advocating for people, just incredible, incredible women in this series. And I'm so in awe of them and I'm learning from them and I'm proud of their work. And I 
want you to know who they are. So our guest this week couldn't come at a better time for me. I mean that. I really mean that. Like the area in which she works, I would say, if I'm just being honest, is probably the area that just personally in the privacy of my own brain takes up the most real estate that I don't want to give it. The most negative real estate, I should say. And I know because this is a conversation that we host in our community frequently that a ton of you feel the exact same way. First of all, we have been groomed to feel that way. We have been conditioned to feel this way and it's going to take concerted effort to push back against it. So one of the things I mentioned recently, if you follow me on socials, is that some things I wanted this summer intentionally to do more of and less of. I just, I wanted to treat summer with intention. And so one of the things that I wanted to do more of is just move my body. Like in any way that I like to, not in the old yucky way. Like I can feel it physically. I have not really moved this entire calendar year. And so I'm achy and I'm stiff. I have no flexibility. But really for me, the biggest thing is that I can just feel the stress and anxiety that has just built up in my body from life and I've given it nowhere to go. So I've just metabolized it and I know it, like I feel it internally. And so movement is a processing tool for me. And I've been doing Pilates and I can talk about that later, but I tell myself regularly in the middle of a class, I'm like, this is good for your mind. Even like if I'm, cause if I'm struggling with a, with a pose or with a, with a movement, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're getting this exactly right. This is good for your mind. Okay. Additionally, one of the things I want to do less of is obsess about bad body stuff. And you know what I mean when I say bad body stuff, like the mean voice in our head, this exhausting mental energy spent on sizes and scales and self-hatred and, oh, it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And I just want to be free of it. I've never been free of it. That's a fact. Never. I can't. I don't feel like I could tell you a stretch of time in my whole adult life that I have felt free here. And I know that a lot of us haven't. So when I tell you that our guests could not be visiting us at a better time, I mean it personally. Like, I hope this is useful for you. But for me, it's incredibly useful. So she is the queen when it comes not only to moving in a healthy way, by the way, her bio and Insta says she's the Beyonce of yoga, but she is entirely about kicking the bad body stuff completely out of the conversation. She started teaching yoga on Instagram, like back in 2012, because, well, I'm I'm not going to steal her thunder because she walks us into that, but she didn't see anybody who looked like her teaching yoga who had a body like hers, who was black like her, who was queer like her. And so she has become this powerful voice really for wellness and body acceptance. And she's just, this is her work in the world, this self-love, no matter our size or shape. So today we have Jessamine Stanley. You guys are going to love Jessamine. By the way, all of our episodes, we always obviously have in an audio feature, but we video all of our interviews. And so it's over on my YouTube channel. So if you ever want to watch a conversation, this is one that I recommend. 
watching so you can see Jessamine talk about her work. I mean, of course, that's how I experience all of our shows. And I think it's it's premiere. So if you just feel like watching, hop over to YouTube. But Jessamine co-founded The Underbelly, which is this really unique and highly inclusive digital wellness experience. And it features a lot of stuff, but including yoga classes that she teaches. And her first book was called Every Body Yoga. Let go of fear, get on the mat, love your body. And I mean, if that isn't indicative of her personality and energy, I don't know what is, but her second book is called Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance. And she talks a little bit about both. And it's just this honest, very funny book. She's funny based on stories from her life. And she tackles imposter syndrome and the American yoga industry which she says prefers to debate the merits of cotton versus poly blend leggings over owning up to how non-inclusive it is. And she's just really vulnerable about her own ever evolving path to self-acceptance. And I just, I walked away from this conversation feeling, I don't know if this is going to translate. You'll have to just listen to it to see what I mean, but just kind of settled. Like, I just felt a little bit settled. I felt like I kind of exhaled a little bit. She has this way of being in the world. And I don't know, it was really calming and hopeful. And Jessamine just reminds us that we love ourselves first and then we're able to love one another well. Anyway, it's a beautiful conversation. And I think you're going to love her. And I'm excited to introduce her to this community and her work which I hope you will immediately onboard to as soon as you finish this episode. And so without any further ado, welcome the vibrant and honest and inspiring Jessamine Stanley. I am just really delighted to meet you. You are fascinating. Your work is fascinating. I really like you, like who you are as a person, in addition to all the incredible things you're doing in the world and the messaging that you come with and the way that you're leading. I mean, I'm a fan. Welcome to the show. I'm humbled by that, quite frankly, and mainly because I think that in all of my work, I'm just trying to keep my pants on and like not behave like a decapitated chicken at all times. So <laughs> I'm just glad that it resonates. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and humbled to be oh, here. Oh, man. I love it when our, our standards are just, can I keep my pants on? That's, That's if it. If I got to do that in a day, check. Listen, um, life goal. So, okay. I've already given my listeners just kind of the, the four one one on you and kind of what you do from a really high level. But I'd just like to hear from you first before we drill into some of your stuff, just in your own words, if you don't mind, if you'll tell us a little bit about kind of who and where you are. And if you could even, and we'll just start with a really big question. Can you talk about the earliest steps of your personal journey? Because this is an inside job, first and foremost, before you turn to this outward into the world toward just loving yourself fully, just body, soul, mind, spirit. When did you, when did that begin to assimilate into you? Because I never grew up, I'm older than you, obviously, but I never grew up hearing anything about embodiment or my body was an enemy to me my whole life. And I was taught to feel that way. So 
can you just start kind of early for me and sort of unroll a little bit about the origin story of you? Absolutely. I mean, if we're going to be real with it, I think that so much of my body acceptance journey started way before I ever heard of body acceptance or fat acceptance or body liberation. That was when I was in college. So I would really take it even a step further back to like middle school and elementary school because I was never a particularly popular kid. I was also not a very athletic kid and I have been fat my entire life. So From a very young age, I was extremely self-conscious of my body. I thought that my body was fundamentally wrong. I thought that because I never saw myself represented in magazines or in movies, and really I came of age during the era of like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar and like the Olsen twins. It was very like small features, blonde or brown hair, not fat, black, queer, as I came to understand later. like. None of that was there. And so I thought that the more that I could look like what I saw in magazines, the better. And I think of middle school because that was a time when I was really heavily bullied. And it that experience for me, looking back, was one of the greatest experiences because what it was actually teaching me is that everyone is self-conscious about their body. There is no one who is not self-conscious. And the person who bullies is having the most traumatic experience. That only comes from sadness. But I think it's fair to say that I didn't understand any of that at the time. (laughs) None of this like esoteric, this didn't make sense to me at all. And I, when I was in college, I got really into the idea of losing weight. My friends and I were like obsessed with going to Weight Watchers. We were like, oh my God, like we, we would bully each other, quite frankly, about like how much weight we could lose every week. And during that time though, I started to get really into Tumblr and LiveJournal and I started to see more fat acceptance writers like Leslie Kinzel, Marianne Kirby. Their work was really tremendous for me. And I also started to see more fat fashion bloggers like Gabby Gregg, Nicolette Mason, Nadia Abelosan. And they all really changed my perspective about what I should look like, what I can look like. And all of that settled into me even before I started practicing yoga, which was really such a gateway to me having a better understanding of my body. But I think that for me, where I started to see the shift was understanding that ultimately at the end of the day, I am all I have, that there is no one that can be me for me. And so if I am all I have, then I have to learn to accept myself where I am right now, not where I could be in the future or where I thought I should have been 10 years ago. Like, what does it mean to just be who I am today? Mm, Wow. That would just fundamentally change the culture. It would change the world if women particularly could get a hold of that and live into it that would have changed my life. Never occurred to me when I was younger. You know, I think that sometimes about children now who are growing up now, I'm like, their lives are going to be so fundamentally different just because of the amount of representation that we're seeing in the media. And I do think there's so much more that needs to be done. 
on. And I also think it's interesting that this is happening at the same time, that there's still a big push toward, you know, lose weight, change your body. Like all of that mentality is still there, but there is another force too. So I'm excited to see what life is like for the next generation. Oh gosh, me too. They have been exposed to such a wider world than we were. And I have so much hope pinned on them. A lot of people spent like thinking that they are wayward. And I'm like, you guys must not be around the same adults, young adults that I am. Because for me, they are smart and engaged. They've already pushed back on all those harmful narratives that we were raised in. That was just the water we drank. I learn from them all the time. I've got, my kids are 17 to 25. There's five of them. And we're kind of a really interesting family. I've got black kids. I've got queer kids. We're, we're just a thing. Amazing. We're just all over. You would look at us and be like, I don't understand this family. Um, (laughs) But what I have learned from them is astonishing. Like just watching them, first of all, just live their own truth in the world, but also how they are with their friends, what their peers talk about, how they're engaged socially. It's just fascinating. But okay, back to you. No, oh my God. I I just, I literally, I'm just struck by like, I work with a lot of mothers and I'm always thinking about how their children are teaching us that I'm like, wow, we're really just showing up and just trying to offer something, anything to them. And they are offering us these incredible lessons. And I'm just thinking about your family and the beauty, the bounty of lessons every day. And maybe we have another conversation about that later. (laughs) So many questions. Totally. Absolutely. Before we get into now where you are, which is just so so visible, so wildly popular, so at this at the center of so many eyeballs. What was your on ramp into yoga? How did that start for you? Because it's such a specific practice. It's such a unique space. And as we're going to get into in this conversation, it's homogenous and it's it's privileged and it's inaccessible. And so, how'd you find your little self walking into that room? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I literally never thought that yoga had anything to do with me. Like I thought that it was for thin white women. I will say that I was familiar with the work of Diane Bondi and Anna Guest Jelly and other curvy yoga practitioners, but I did not see them in my day-to-day life. So to me, yoga was like for thin, rich white women. Well, so, okay. I was in high school when I went to my first yoga class. And at the time, my aunt was obsessed with Bikram yoga. She was like an evangelical for it. And she was like, you have to go to this class. It's going to change your life. And I was pretty much like, I got nothing better to do. I'll go to this yoga class with you. And I just thought it was the worst thing in the entire world. Like, Everything about it was awful. (laughs) It was really hard. Oh my God, it was Mm. the worst. Like Mm -hmm. literally, because Bikram yoga is a style of hot yoga, which it's it's practiced in a room that's like between 100 to 104 degrees. It smells really unctuous, maybe is the best word. It's Uh um, because of all the sweat. And it just is a very challenging posture. Every posture to me felt impossible. And... I stayed in the room like maybe a third of the way through before I was like, I'm never doing this again. I don't need this. Cut to seven years later, I was in graduate school. I was going through a period of depression that frankly has come in waves throughout my life. This wasn't my first, it it wasn't the first or the last, but 
a friend of mine was really into Bikram yoga also. And she was like, oh my God, come to class with me. And I was like, I know I'm not going to like that. I've already tried it before. It's not for me. But she convinced me to go, basically got me to buy a Groupon to the studio. So it was like, if I go one time, it'll be fine. I'll have to go back. But so I went and everything about it was exactly the same as that first class. Like it was still hot as hell, hard as hell. Everything about it was impossible. But what it really showed me was just how often in my life I tell myself no. And I say, I can't do that. Like I'm in this room where I'm one of the only Black people, one of the only fat people. I'm very alienated. In Bikram yoga specifically, you look in mirrors while you do the practice. And so I'm staring at my body like, oh my God, look at my stomach, my arms, blah, blah, blah. And I would look around at the other practitioners and at the teacher and be like, they all know I shouldn't be here. They know I don't know what I'm doing. Why even bother? And I thought at one point, so are you just going to do this for the whole 90 minutes or are you going to try? Because you could just try. And maybe you fall down and maybe everyone in the room is going to see that you don't know what you're doing. Maybe the teacher is going to make fun of you in front of everyone and you could still just try. And that was like a light switch for me because there were so many parts of my life, not just on that yoga mat, where I was not trying, where I did not give myself the chance to fall or to fail. And ultimately, even to this day, that is why I continue to practice yoga is because it is an opportunity for me to look at myself and see beyond these barriers that I've created for myself, to see beyond the way that society has defined me, to actually just feel and be present in the moment. So I started practicing yoga pretty regularly during that time period. And it gave me a lot of confidence to leave graduate school and to move to a new town and really change my life in a, in a big way. But when I moved, I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a job. I could not afford to practice yoga in studios. And so I stopped practicing yoga. And during that time, a bunch of things happened. But one of the things that stands out to me is that my aunt passed away very unexpectedly. And I just found myself sliding into a place of depression. And I was like, what was making me feel good before? Yoga? Okay, I just have to figure out how to do this at the house. And by that point, my partner and I had moved into this little apartment. And we had, there was like no space in this apartment. But I literally would push all the furniture out of this one corner of the room. And I had my dad's old Pilates mat. And I would roll out that mat and I knew some postures from the Bikram sequence and I would just do those postures and it just became my medicine. And I, over time, wanted to track my progress and look at my practice more critically. And I started taking photos of it, which that in and of itself was a revolutionary practice for me because like as a fat person... And frankly, as a person who has been ashamed of her body, there are whole years of my life where I have very few photos of myself because I was so ashamed to be seen. So to take those photos was like a really big deal for me. And I started sharing them on social media because I wanted to connect with other yoga practitioners. Because when you practice yoga at home, it can be very alienating and isolating. And and I just wanted to feel like I was connected to other people. 
And I thought that I would get feedback like, oh, this is what my downward facing dog looks like. Or like, here's how you should have your hands in triangle pose or whatever. But mostly I had people be like, I didn't know the fat people could practice yoga. And I was just like, why do you think fat people can't practice yoga? Fat people do all kinds of things all the time. Like clearly we have a visibility problem. And so from there, I kept sharing my yoga practice because I realized that not it doesn't just help other fat people to see someone living their life unapologetically, that it can impact literally anyone to see another human being living honestly and authentically. And so, so much of that is why to this day, I continue to share my yoga practice and mm. why I teach yoga as well. It's so true. That principle of living, it just is expansive. It has to do with our bodies, but it has to do with so much more. Just to watch you live just in front of people is, I can only imagine the feedback that you get in a positive (laughs) way. Now, listen, this is a very, very big leap from, I pushed some furniture out of a corner and got on my dad's mat to, I have a huge Insta channel a podcast. I'm an author. You've got a million followers. Like that's a big leap. Can you talk about it? Because I mean, when you very modestly say I shared my practice online, it is not at all indicative of what you've actually accomplished, what you have done, how your work has grown, your visibility has grown. You are wildly successful. So if you could just go back a couple of steps and be like, here's how I got off my dad's mat. And now I have this whole deal. Cause you couldn't have imagined this, right? I mean, you didn't right, totally. <laughs> no, this is, you, this is beyond imagination. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely did not think like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. Like even that any, that really anyone would engage with my content. Like I've been posting on social media since frankly, before it was called social media. Like I was on blogs and stuff when I was in middle school and high school. And to me as an introvert, it was very much like the only place that I was able to make friends easily and connect with other humans. So starting my Instagram and this, I got on Instagram whenever it first came out. So at that time it was like really just college students. And like, it was just, it was, it felt very informal, very much just, I want to connect with other humans. And I started to see a lot of traction. But even in that, I still just didn't feel like this is what my life is to be. Like I studied arts management in graduate school. I went to culinary school. I was very much down a road, like a different road. People would ask me to teach them yoga. And I would be like, you don't need for me to teach you yoga. There are literally thousands of yoga teachers. And people would ask like all over the world. And I would be like, here are the teachers that I follow. Here are the places that I go. Like, you should just do that. You don't need me. But after a period of time, I was like, okay, maybe I should go to training. But I couldn't afford it. Like, again, I am in debt from graduate school. So I was like, I don't, I can't just go to like a yoga teacher training. And through all of this, my father had actually been very much against this whole thing. He was so upset when I left graduate school. He every, literally like every day, it was like, when are you going back to grad school? And so one day I was talking to him and by this point I had been featured in some press and I can't remember exactly what had happened. Let's say it was People magazine. He said, 
well, your mom told me about this people thing. So, you know, what's going on with this yoga thing? And I was like, well, you know, I think I should probably go to training, but I can't really afford it. And he was like, well, how much money does it cost? And I was like, it's $3,000. And he was like, well, what if we could help you find that money? Because it seems like you should go do this. And I was like, if this guy is saying that I need to go to teacher training, that yeah. is the universe. Because yeah. let me tell there's no one on this universe, in this universe, who cares <laughs> less than Jesse Stanley. So I was like, okay, I'll go to training. But even when I went to training, I was like, I don't know that I'm going to actually teach. Like, maybe I can just teach the people who have explicitly asked me to teach them. But I will say that when I went to teacher training... And this is going to sound hyperbolic, but I really had my soul cracked open. And I came to understand why everyone should teach yoga, their yoga. Because one, it's not just an exercise. Ultimately, the practice of yoga is a practice of balance within the self. And the way that I understand that practice is not going to resonate for everybody. But it might resonate for even one person. And if it resonates for one person and then they share the practice with even one other person, that starts a ripple effect wherein we start to live in a world that moves from a place of compassion and love as opposed to fear. And right now we live in a world that is run by fear. Everyone is motivated from that place. And so when I left teacher training, I was like, okay, I'm just going to make a list of everywhere that people have asked me to teach. And then I'm going to go to those places and then I'll go back to my life because I like that. That's the road. Okay. And when I made the list, I mean, it was essentially like everywhere in the world. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's get these classes going. Like I'll just travel around and teach. And, and before the pandemic, I did travel regularly and teach all over the world. But there comes a point where it's like, I can't physically be in the room sure. with everybody. Yeah. So that is why we started The Underbelly, which is my wellness community. And at The Underbelly, it's a space where it's okay to be yourself. You don't have to be ashamed of the fact that of any, you don't have to be ashamed of any part of your life. You can just be and exist. But even having The Underbelly, not everybody is going to go to a yoga class even. Maybe that person doesn't ever want to go to a yoga class. And that's where writing books came from. So I wrote my first book, Everybody Yoga, because I had so many people asking me, how do I start a yoga practice? And I would be like, you should just Google it. Literally Google, how do I start a <laughs> totally. yoga practice? But when I, when you Google it, it's so confusing. It's like, Absolutely. is this a religion? What, like, what kind should I be doing? What's going on? So Everybody Yoga is the answer to how do I start a yoga practice? And then Yoke, my yoga of self-acceptance is about what happens when you start practicing yoga? What does it mean to deal with the different parts of yourself, the emotions and the spiritual truth? But even with that, like not everybody's going to read a book, not everybody's going to go to a class. And so that's where the podcast Dear Jessamine came from. Because the idea is that your most important yoga teachers are not going to be teaching you on a yoga mat. Your most important yoga teachers are your lovers and your friends and your children, ultimately. So it's a it's a podcast where we talk about relationships and specifically polyamorous relationships. But everything is coming from this place of like, let me try to get to all the people that have asked me to teach them yoga. And over time, there has been a growth in terms of just the sheer scope and scale of who I'm able to communicate with. But I don't really think that much about reach 
at the end of the day. I have to think as a business person, I have to think about it. But in general, my preference is to just be like, I just want to teach what I've been asked to teach. And then I want to move on with my life. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. So get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's not surprising that this many people are just so attracted to you and your work and your teaching. And I want to talk about, I clearly come from a a place of privilege for a million reasons. And it was a learning curve for me over the last decade to discover and find out because I'm generally in the majority culture in the room, of course. And so learning how narrow the target audience is for just self-care options and wellness in general, wellness, even with all of its tendrils, therapy, counseling, all the things that care for our souls and our bodies is historically just such a privileged space. In 2020, I interviewed Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. She's a psychologist. And she and I talked a lot about just the anxiety And the trauma carried in the bodies through generations of Black Americans, Mm -hmm. which obviously impact their ability to flourish already just on generational trauma. And she was telling me in that conversation, of course, she'd grown up, she'd never even heard of yoga. And of course, when she did, there weren't spas or studios or wellness practices or really anything like that accessible in her community. And so I'm throwing a bunch at you right now because I want no, you to No, you're not. I got it. you. Yeah, please. She also talked about, you know, this cultural notion that has a lot of traction still, even though Black women have so vocally pushed back against it publicly, but where Black women are viewed as strong, right? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, they absolutely are. But when we only view Black women as unshakable, right? As able to endure whatever trauma, whatever continuous trauma, we take away their right to vulnerability, to softness. We take away their right to be gentle, to care for themselves, to be cared for by someone else even. And so this is a long lead up, but I just like to hear you talk a little bit about your perspective around these ideas, particularly inside the culture of Black women, although, of course, it applies to men of color, too, obviously, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. just your experience with the wellness movement in general, how it has been positioned, and to whom, and for whom, 
and the reversal that you are working on as a leader inside a community that has been built for privileged white people? Oh man, what a a question. No, this is everything. This is the whole thing. And I do want to add one piece even that there's there's something to having grown up in the South specifically and having grown up literally in the soil of Jim Crow. And specifically, I think even just to twist the nuance a little bit, that yoga has moved primarily through the West Coast, so like through California, Oregon, Washington, and then also in the Northeast. But outside of those areas, yoga is really still like very clandestine. And there's n- it's not, even in communities of white people, it seems like it's very much like only certain people talk about it. But certainly growing up Black in the South, There was no emphasis on self-care at all. There was no emphasis on mental health whatsoever. It was 100% about survival and trying to just make it. So that even now to this day, there is a lot of stigma around wellness in general, a lot of stigma around mental health. And yoga, there's a whole thing around like religion and- yes. God and whether or not it's satanic and there's so much there. And I think that for me, it's less about reversing anything. So it's not about like whether or not thin white people should be able to practice yoga. It's more like, how can we make sure that everyone has access to the resources that they need to survive? And specifically thinking about who in our society is most at risk, who is having their humanity stripped from them. And I think when I think about that, I'm immediately thinking about those who are incarcerated, those who are in peril or in need, those who are experiencing homelessness, like anything like that. It's like, we really need to focus on making sure that everyone knows that they are human and that they deserve that by virtue of being alive, that they deserve to exist. But I think that, you know, as a black woman, there is this piece where, we are not allowed in the mainstream, we're not allowed to be gentle or soft. And we're not allowed to have feelings, frankly. The expectation is that we will carry the load and that we will carry everyone else's load and that we don't deserve the same things that everyone else does. And I think that there's a compassionate Cancerian part of me that wants to see that I think that it's more like there's an misunderstanding that we are superhuman somehow and therefore don't need the same things that everyone else does. And it is a daily learning for me on a personal level to even remember that about myself. And it is something that I have to be constantly reminded. I have to actively remind myself to take breaks, to rest, to that sleep is the most important thing, that silence and quiet, that I deserve good things, that all of these things are things that like literally there are all kinds of things posted around my house that are specifically about this. Actually, in the background of this, you can see some things that I've created that are like images of my home, words of remembrance so that I can pull back to that because it is so challenging. And it's it's helpful to remember that it didn't just start with me, that this is something that my mother, my my grandmothers, my aunts, the, the, and going back generations on generations. I think about my 
great grandmother who I was named for, she's Jessie May, I'm Jessamine. She came home when she was six to her mother dead in the fireplace. She had fallen into the fireplace. And I'm like, this is the soil. You know what I mean? Like, but in that, there is so much power and so much strength and so much opportunity to grow and for us to see more and do more. And so I think about all of them and I think about this legacy that we're all carrying and the opportunity that we have to do right by them, by taking a break, by saying no, by seeking spirituality and seeking that light that lives within. And I think that it is not possible to tell someone else what they deserve. So as a yoga practitioner, as a teacher, it is not my goal to try to convince other people that they should take care of themselves or that they should seek out spirituality or this type of wisdom. And I think that there's, there is also a piece where as practitioners who are not South Asian, there's a need for us to understand where the traditional Western understanding of yoga comes from and who, who could be potentially offended by us trying to find salvation through this practice. And all of those things living together just feels like the most beautiful human experience and opportunity to me. It feels like the reason that we're here. It feels like the big why. And I think that there's a very often when this many questions, like you said at the beginning, like this is a lot to be throwing at, throwing at. And I'm like, damn, it's the whole thing. It's the truth. It's the fullness. And I think that it is pure opportunity and beauty. And I think that because we live in a world that is so saturated by the idea of happy and good and sweet and, and we become fearful of experiencing anything other than those emotions, that to see the totality of this is scary. And it feels like, what do we do with all that? Or, you know, maybe some people deserve to have some things and other people don't. And, you know, how do we fix this problem? And I think, what if we didn't see it as a problem? What if it's just what it is? And what if there's an opportunity to learn and to be humble and to grow and to change? So, yeah, I mean, it's been amazing, frankly, in this last decade especially, to see so many more people showing up to their yoga practices, to see specifically so many more Black women. And then for me, I'm like specifically fat Black women, fat, dark-skinned Black women out here living their yoga practices, being authentic, like finding whatever that is for them. And ultimately, though, I just think that, you know, we're we're doing what we can in this lifetime and we do it for and with and by our grandmothers. For some people it will resonate and for others it will not. And it's all the same regardless. It doesn't really matter because we're all on the same path and we're all going to get where we're going. Really inspiring, Jessamine, to look essentially just even just through the comments on your Insta account and how many people are 
pushing back against shame around their bodies, a lot of them for the first time, or kind of discovering that yoga isn't some faraway idea for somebody who doesn't look like them for whatever reason, that it's accessible and that it's internal and so beautiful and healing. And so I would love to hear, oh gosh, you could probably go endlessly on about this, but I'd love to hear any of maybe one or two of your favorite stories as a teacher. And as you said, you're not focused on just growth and expansion all the time. It's just happening because it is because people are drawn to beauty and hope and wholeness and good. That just, they just are, but you have so much proximity now to beautiful stories and incredible, incredible work that people are doing. So I would just like to, do you have a couple that you can share? Yeah. Of people whose lives have been changed and who are. Yeah. I mean, literally like I don't even know where to start because there are so many people whose lives have been fundamentally altered. The things that are most interesting to me are when it's it has nothing to do with yoga. It's not like someone like they didn't go and practice yoga they're, or they like didn't read a book or they hmm. they're not yeah. interested in that. But because they are being encouraged to be themselves, they can see more clearly. They can make the decision that needs to be made. They can leave their partner. They can leave the job, go to the new job, change their life completely. And I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I don't have like a mental catalog of all of these stories because there are so many. But something that stands out for me is a time that I was teaching in London and it was a very, it was like a packed class in a very hot studio. And there was this guy in the front row who was just like a very traditionally hot white guy, like very much like he looked like he could be a model. And this side story during this class, I had like, peed on myself, which, okay, I don't need to go into all the details of this, but the only reason that I'm bringing it up is that I was feeling very self-conscious in that moment. Uh And at the end of the class, he came up to me and he's like, thank you so much. I was feeling so bad about myself and really feeling down on my body. And I just, this being in this space has been really filling for me. And I was just like, this guy has body issues. <laughs> like it was like, this is somebody who I think that when we talk about body acceptance, we're not talking about this guy. Like in general, I think that we're like, like, Oh, body acceptance is something for fat women who want to feel good about themselves. And it's like, no, everybody feels. Ashamed. It goes back to what you said at the beginning of the show about middle school learning. Exactly. Nobody is feeling great inside their bones and muscles and bodies. Like, it's literally just, it's still true even we just grew up exactly right literally. here's this hot chris pines look alike yeah, right. coming up to you saying this meant so much to me because i feel bad about how i look exactly just, a lot of us are in this together but i think that something also that stands out to me specifically in response to my book yoke is the number of black women who have said thank you but to me i have felt it i have felt the need to say thank you to them because it is so scary to talk about our experiences. It's scary to 
acknowledge to yourself that that is what's happening. And I think specifically when we talk about internalized racism, it's very scary because we live in a world that is very much focused on, when we talk about racism, it's very much about like, you know, how can, basically like how can white people do right? It's hard to talk about as a Black person what it feels like to accept that I was bred to hate myself. And so to connect with other people who understand that experience fully to a place where when they're reading the book, they're literally like, it's not like this is a new idea. It's like, I just see myself. That has meant the world to me. And I think that that is the kind of self-awareness that it's not even necessarily about seeing a change in the long term. I think so often we're like, like we want to look for those big moments of like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to leave my husband or I'm going to like get a different job or whatever the thing is. But sometimes it's being able to see a really hard and ugly truth about yourself and not turn away and not say, I just don't want to feel this. I don't want to look at this. It's saying, this is who I am. The fullness of myself is ugly and complex and sad. And I'm going to choose to love that too. I'm obsessed. My friend Chelsea was wearing the softest cashmere sweater in that perfect weight for spring. She told me it was under $50 made by a fantastic company named Quince. And I could shop for my laptop which is my dream. So I immediately ordered the cashmere tee. Now I want it in every color. Quince offers staple pieces like Chelsea's Mongolian cashmere sweater, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, classic like 14 karat gold jewelry. You can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials, but unbeatable prices. You guys, seriously, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And I know what you're thinking, but Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible practices and premium fabrics, which I love. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash hatmaker for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash hatmaker to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hatmaker. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Let's say you had, you could see the future or you could make it, you could craft it even better. What do you see as a world where people have access to affordable self-care that is non-shaming and actionable for everybody and everybody, regardless of any of it, shape, gender, affiliation, size, color, location, geography, income? I mean, we're, we're shooting for pie in the sky here, obviously, but what are some of the things that would have to change? And I'm casting an eye specifically on the sort of wellness and self-care industry, yoga specifically inside of that, as is. What would it look like to make this different in a way that would really serve us all, particularly, as you said, our most fragile neighbors, the ones who need the most amount of care and get the least? Mm-hmm. You know, Uh, So, okay, I want to say a few different things that I have seen happen that I'm like, let's just do more of that. One time when I was in Washington State, I was a guest at a yoga class that was taught in a prison. And it was in a women's prison. And it was a part of a program where it was a yoga teacher training that happens in the prison system where people who are incarcerated are the teachers and they teach each other how to practice yoga. And I'm like, let's do more of that. Let's have more programs where we are empowering everyone to take their own agency and to make change with it. I'm thinking about the number of free yoga classes that are all over the world at this point. But I think there cannot be enough accessible yoga practices wherein we are making it possible for anyone, regardless of how much money you have, to be able to find this practice for for yourself. And then something that I have never seen, but that I would really love to see, and that I think would make systemic generational change, is mindfulness classes that start from kindergarten or maybe even oh, before yeah. kindergarten. Yeah. But having some sort of programming in mm-hmm. schools that is about how to tune into yourself and that gives you different tools as you get older that so that whenever you leave high school, that you're able to step into adulthood in a way where you know that compassion can be found within yourself. That kind of tool, I think, would create really lasting generational change. Me too. But I think the the main thing is that we have to see each other as valuable. We have to see, and in order to see another person as valuable, we have to see ourselves as valuable. And I think that to understand that on a government level, is the that's really the next step for us, but it has to start from an individual level. I love that vision for a million reasons. So wrapping up here, what are you working on right now? Or what are you dreaming about? Or what what are you eyeballing a little bit where you think I I want to move into that space or I want to try that? Or or maybe it's just steady as she goes because you've already got a lot 
We've got a lot of slivers of the pie chart already spoken for. Or maybe it's do less. That's right. Totally. Yeah. I think that um, at this stage, steady as she goes is exactly the way to put it. It's, I really want to be mindful and conscious of the community that I'm building and that I'm a part of and being really tapped into the underbelly community, understanding what it is that we are doing there and why. And what, again, like what is the lasting generational change that can and will come? That feels like the full like if my focus is anywhere, that is where it is. And that is extensive and expansive. And there are so many different parts of understanding what yoga is and how it can impact society. There's a lot there, but I think that for me, the focus at this point is to pull back from Jessamine Stanley and the idea of what it is for me individually to be witnessed by other human beings and to see how I can use my light to shine with and for and by other people. And that does mean, I mean, it means more books, it means bigger projects, it means TV, it means movies, all these things. But really what it is, is I would, I have a light that shines within me and I would like to shine bright in community with other people. Mm. You're doing it. You're absolutely doing that. You're an incredible and... hype person, Jen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I need this energy. Thank you. Uh, it's really profound, beautiful work. I'm just proud of you. And it's, I'm so, it gives me just hope. You said earlier, and I think about this all the time, just, we're just in a, we're in a fear culture right now that is so disruptive. It's so disorienting and it's so disconnecting. and sometimes I'm tempted to despair because I, it's hard to see a path out or through, but then I'm reminded in these conversations, just here on the ground in with normal people, normal us living our lives. This is how it changes. It's one little space at a time like this one, one community of inclusiveness and acceptance at a time. And one message of love and compassion and dignity at a time. And that's really the stuff that's always changed the world. And so I keep waiting for somebody at the top to do the right thing. And that's folly. We're the ones, we're the ones we're waiting for. And so I think this conversation has just left me really hopeful. Just one, here is a little outcropping, this community of just hope and wholeness and wellness. And it's just like, it's just beaten back the darkness just as best we can. We're just, we're just normal people, but it's incredible to watch. That's it. That's it. There's one little piece. If I can say, I feel like there's this thing of like beating back the darkness. And then I think that the darkness becomes so all consuming. As you were saying, like there's so much, I just, it's scary. You know, the world that we're living in is scary and it is dark. And I think in a lot of ways, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And for me, though, there is this incredible power that comes from just letting the darkness be there and just letting it be be all-consuming because that is where the light really is. And that's how it shines so bright. That's where I see it. I don't want that to be the truth. I want it to just be where all the goodness exists in the light of day. But really, all my lessons, all my best teachers, 
all my seasons of growth are in the dark. And so that's how it goes. That's, that's how life works. Um, not because we're doing it all wrong. That's just how life is. One last question for you. Mm-hmm, please. And everybody gets this question on the show. And you can answer this however you want, Jasmine. I mean, it could be tender and earnest, or it could be absurd and ridiculous. And it's all good. I borrowed this question from an Episcopal priest named Barbara Brown Taylor that I love. Anyway, it is this. What is saving your life right now? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, Wow. So many things. Okay, Stanley, be succinct. You got um, you know, something that is saving my life right now is going for a walk with my dog after work every oh, day. Oh, I love that. Just, oh, I love that so much. He he is my greatest teacher. He reminds me of what how life is meant to be lived. And we walk in this place where there are so many beautiful flowers and it overlooks the San Francisco Bay. And I'm just like, yes, that oh. is what life is. Oh, that feels good. That felt good in my, in my bones, just to hear you say that. What kind of dog do you have? A little chihuahua. He is the tiniest little thing. He's baby shark. He's at the baby shark club on Instagram. If you're curious about baby shark. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being on today. Would you just tell my listeners, this is so resonant in my community and where to find you, how to be a part of your incredible community that you are building and have built already, your books, really just all of it, because you have offered so many incredible resources to the world. And I want every underbelly, of course, I want everybody in my world to know exactly where to find you. You can find me on social media at my name is Jessamine on Instagram at Jessamine Stanley on Twitter. And you can find me, you can find my books where I'm teaching all of that at jessamanstanley.com. And you can practice yoga with me at the Underbelly Yoga. And you can try a free two-week trial at theunderbelly.com. Perfect. Everybody, I'll round all that up for you. I'll put that in one spot. So you can just click, 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 click all the way through. Thank you for being on the show. Really, thanks for your time. I know your time is so valuable. And I... Just I'm so grateful that you have brought this into my world too. And I'm just delighted to have met you, really. The feeling is mutual, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to connecting again sometime soon. Me too. All right, you guys. I really, you're going to love following her and learning from her. And some of you are absolutely going to want to onboard into her community over at Underbelly. And so over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'm going to have this whole episode and all the show notes, but I will round up every link she just mentioned so that you can follow her and see more of her work and resources and maybe move into her community that is It's just kind of like the antidote to everything like mean and ugly and dark and noisy and disconnected right now. That's how it felt to me, this conversation. Like, okay, this is what we do. This is is how we do it. Like, how do we tell and build a better story than the one we're seeing? Stuff like this. This is how we do it. I really, really appreciated her today. So, and also all my guests in this series, I've I'm so grateful for their work in the world. I just, uh, it's just, 
I know the series is called For the Love Being Seen and Heard, and that's exactly what it's about. But the process of hearing about the work and these communities that are being centered after being and still having been marginalized, it's just to me, it's so encouraging. Like, look at all this goodness going on in the world. Look at all this light. Look at all these leaders. Look at these communities. Look at this good news. I just kind of wish the series would go on forever. Anyway, thank you for being here. Don't, if you've missed any of the episodes, go back and pick them up because every one of them is just lovely. All right, you guys, see you next week. <laughs>